We're going to do an impromptu Q&A. So with the time that we took up with that announcement, which is totally fine. Uh, I'm okay with that. Um, we can do any sort of questions. Anything. Any question at all about the Bible, about anything. Yeah, go for it. Um, By the way, I don't think I got your name. Jacob. Jacob. All right, cool. I'm so, Steven. Nice to meet nice you. To meet you. <laughs> so my yeah. question is, if, let's say you were born and then you were just raised into a certain religion. Sure. And you had no idea what the actual true religion is because that's mm-hmm. all you've ever known is yeah. that religion. Does that really sentence you to damnation? No. No, not at all. Uh, go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, I'll share this passage with you. It's a good one. Okay. Um, so the first the first verse that I mentioned and I mentioned it just a little bit ago is the second Peter three nine. So that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That to me is one of the most clearest verses in the Bible that explains God's heart for humanity. Um, because if God, if you have verses like John three sixteen for God so loved the world, that's all inclusive. So that doesn't leave any person out, doesn't leave any nation out, doesn't leave any any person whatsoever. And then you have Second Peter three nine that talks about that God is not willing that any should perish. What kind of a God would not have that kind of a heart? Like I would not want to follow knowing what the Bible says and knowing who God is. I would not want to follow a God that did not believe that. A God that would be partial, a God that would leave someone out, kind of like what you're, inclu- you know, what you're kind of leading to, is that you know would God just leave them out and they would just be damned because they didn't have the opportunity to get to know God for who He was. So you're absolutely right. That's completely and totally unfair. And I would not follow a God that would be that way and that would operate that way. So Romans chapter one uh, explains that there are three. There's really three things in Romans one, two, and also chapter three. But there's really three things that give a testimony of God's existence and for someone to come to a point of a knowledge about God in order for them to get right with God. So the first thing is in Romans chapter 1, and it talks about, um, let's see here, verse verse 19. Okay, so it says, uh, that it talks about how that the world is in unrighteousness, but in the 19 it says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. And then he explains how, verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the very first thing that gives witness to, that God exists, no matter where you're at on the planet, is the creation itself. Like when you study creation, it testifies of God like no other. I mean, you start to get into... Uh, patterns and organisms and how things are built and the complexity of even something as simple as like your eyeball, which is like unbelievably complex that no, no one's ever been able to replicate anything as complicated as the eyeball mechanically. No one's ever been able to do it. And yet it's been around for thousands of years. And so you have this whole situation that as you study creation, it, it gives testimony that God exists. I mean, even something small um, that we would see as small, but something that I think is very, very big is just the position of where the Earth is in our solar system and where our solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy. Like if you were to go anywhere else in the Milky Way galaxy, our view of the entirety of the universe would be completely clouded. Like we are in the perfect position in this nebula in order to view the vastness of space and to be able to see the utter design that God has portrayed and put on display. And that's why the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so everywhere you look, 
you can see the existence that God is there because believing that these things just happened over time is frankly against what the laws of science have actually established anyway, even just the second law of thermodynamics. You have something like that where, you know, evolution, their basic belief is that things improve over time when that actually can't happen. Like, there's nothing that improves over time. Like, there hasn't been a single thing. Like, if you plant a tree, that tree will grow, but then eventually over time it will die. Like, that's the pattern of everything. You build a building and you paint a wall and over time that paint's going to start peeling off. Things are going to degenerate. That's the second law of thermodynamics. So the theory of evolution is, is in stark contrast to just those established laws alone. And that's why it's still called the theory of evolution because it's never been proven true. So you have things like that that exist because men don't want to believe there's a God. Because when you go out into creation and you study it with a good heart attitude and you just even, just even a person that would say, you know, I wonder if there is a God then you'd start to be able to see things like, oh my goodness, this pattern here and that pattern there, and then there's this over here. And then, I mean, things that, that are rather simple that people, you know, may just blow off as nonsense. You know, the strongest shape in the entire universe is the what? Triangle. It's the triangle. The triangle is made up of three, three sides. sides. And there's the pattern of threes throughout scripture that is the Godhead. And that there's the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Ghost. And you have all these things that occur throughout scripture and yet there's things like that where it's like, is that a coincidence? Maybe. But then you start to see all these things all over the place and you're like, oh my goodness, God exists. Like he, he has to exist. I remember as a kid, uh, just when I would look out and uh, I love looking at the stars. I love looking at the, I was, I was fascinated by space. I was fascinated by uh, landscape. I mean, I remember being up on a mountaintop and seeing like the rivers and the clouds and the valleys and everything. And I was just standing, I was standing in awe because it's just the majesty and the power of God. So when you look at that, God says very clearly that just that alone is enough to tell people that there is a God. And God believes so strongly in that fact that he says very specifically in this verse so that they are without excuse. So there is not a single person that is without excuse from the simple fact that a God has to exist. There has to be a designer out there, no matter who it is. They may even believe that it's some sort of an alien that came here years before and started the whole human race, whatever. Just them to believe that there is some sort of a deistic creature that's out there. They may not call it the God of the Bible, but that's what that says. So that's the first thing. The second thing that God gives us is our conscience. And the conscience is explained in chapter 2, where in chapter 2, verse 14, <clears throat> it says, in verse 14, it says, uh, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, so it's talking about, you know, you had the Jews and Gentiles, and the, and the Jews are the ones that had the law, but Gentiles didn't. And so, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, or God's law, do by nature the things can, contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. And then he explains what he's talking about there in verse 15. He says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So, excuse me. So this basically says that God has written on the heart of every human being his law. No one has to come and tell you that it is wrong to lie. No one has to come to tell you that it is wrong to steal. No one has to come to tell you it's wrong to commit adultery or to, or to do anything that, that the law even states because those things are written within our heart. And that's why when you, and, they, and they've been able to find this out scientifically, but there have been people groups that have been lost tribes and like 
the Amazon or in Central America or whatever, when they go into their societies that have no Bible exposure, no missionaries, nothing, they go in and they see that these, these people have laws and they have these certain rules as a society that mirror a lot of the same things the Ten Commandments just teach. Where did they get that from? They had no exposure to the Bible. And it's because there's something, there's a moral law that's written on each of our hearts that explains that these things are not right. And I've always shared this story. It's a fun one to share. You've heard it probably a million times for the rest of you, but remember the first time I lied. Cookie jar. Yes, no, it wasn't the cookie jar. It was the Hot Wheels. It was the Hot Wheels, yes. Okay, yes, it was the bathtub. See, you guys could probably tell the story. Okay, so I was like, I don't know, four years old, five years old, I don't know, something like that. But anyway, I remember that my mom, and I didn't know any of the, of the Bible. Like, I couldn't tell you the Ten Commandments or anything like that. Uh, I was <clears throat> in my room. My mom's like, all right, Stephen, go get ready for a bath. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, Mom, can I take my Hot Wheels to my bath? And she's like, no, I don't want your Hot Wheels in the tub. I'm like, okay. Um, what's, what are Hot Wheels? Hot Wheels, like the little cars. Oh, yeah. 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 So I'm like, okay, my mom doesn't want me to take them. But then inside, I'm like... I want to take those Hot Wheels into the bath. (laughs) And so then I decided to take my Hot Wheels, put them in my shirt, and I was going to start walking down the hallway. And I knew in my heart, I knew, my mom did not have to tell me, I knew that what I was doing was wrong. I was nervous. I was afraid to get caught. I mean, there were certain things that were just like red flags where I knew that this was wrong. And then my mom catches me halfway down the hallway and she's like, what do you have in your shirt? And I went, and I just started crying and I opened up my shirt and it was my Hot Wheels and I got busted for it and I, I remember that that's like the first time that I clearly remember my mom told me to do something and then I chose to do the opposite but inside me there was something inside of me that said you're wrong don't do this don't do it that's conscience yes that was your conscience like it says it says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So our conscience bears witness of the law that's written on our heart. And then it says after that, their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing, our thoughts saying, don't do it, don't do it, or else excusing, uh, it's not that bad, just let it go. It's not that big of a deal. Every single person has this on, the, on their hearts. Every, every one of them. Every one of them. And so... I believe that wholeheartedly that every person knows deep down, I believe every person knows that there is a God. Um, I think creation testifies of that very clearly. And then chapter three talks about the oracles of God. And so the third testimony that God exists and that God is true are the scriptures. Now, based on those three things, um, and and especially with stories of missionaries in the past, um, my firm belief is that any person, no matter where they're at on the planet, like let's say they're in one of those remote tribes, they have had no exposure to the Bible, no exposure to Christianity or anything. If any person were to come to that point in their heart where they're like, I believe that there is a God that exists. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he is. And they begin to just earnestly, you know what, I need to figure this out. And they begin to pray to whoever that God is. I have no doubt in my mind that somehow, some way, God is going to send someone with the truth of the scripture to them so that way they can hear the truth and be saved. Because God will not let anyone perish without having an opportunity to hear the gospel and to be saved. Because if he did, then God is a liar. And if God is a liar, I don't want anything to do with the scriptures. I don't want anything to do with God. And I am frankly wasting my time. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor that is getting paid by the church. What am I doing? Like, am I in this for the money or the prestige? I mean, what am I doing? 
I believe what the Bible says. So if the Bible's not true, and I base my eternity upon what this book says, and if God's a liar, what am I doing here? So that's, uh, I hope that kind of answers in general that question. But we all know that God is telling the truth. Well, yeah, but, but there are people that have these questions because I think there's a lot of people that frankly believe things contrary to what the Bible says, such as atheism or uh, evolution, because they don't want to believe that God exists. Because if God exists, then I've got a huge problem. So it's going to be much easier to say, you know what, God doesn't exist. And then I'm going to explain it away in order to make myself feel better rather than just to submit to the truth of what the, what's already going on inside, that God is real, and that I better get right with him or else I'm going to perish. Okay. Yeah. All right, next question. Um, I actually have one. Okay, what do you got? Uh, this is a recurrent problem for me. Recurrent problem for me. I've been trying to deal with some uh, imagination problems. It's a long, long story. Okay. Basically, we don't uh, have time for long stories, so keep it short. Well, basically, short of it is, I'm having some trouble. Trouble. I've been using too much of my imagination, and it's causing me great power, great, great pain. And I've been trying to, you know, trying to stop it. And yeah. Maybe just enjoy enjoy life without. Maybe enjoy start enjoying life without it. Okay. It's a lot more, but it's a lot more harder in it, than it. I've been, I've been giving some tips to help with myself, and it's, yeah, it's, it's starting to help, but um, <coughs> but it's a lot, it's a lot harder, but it's pretty hard, a lot harder than it looks, and I'm just asking for God to help me. Yeah, and my father says that it's kind of like. It's like my dad said, the devil, the, uh, the mind is the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be fun to go, um, sometimes it's, fun, it's fine to go into your own imagination, but yeah. don't go too far, but I learned to not go too far into it now, yeah. because it's causing me great pain. Yeah. And, uh, well, based on that, let's look at a passage. Go to Second Corinthians 10. This one's a really, really good one. So the Bible talks about how the Bible is the mind of Christ. And, you know, whatever you spend your time with, as far as your mind, what you spend thinking about, whatever you spend time doing, is what you're going to be thinking about more and more and more. I mean, for those of you that play video games a lot, (laughs) um, you're thinking about video games a lot, right? I mean, like, all the time, especially if you get a new game and you're obsessed with it. For those of you that get into, like, novels and different types of books and you read them for hours on end your mind is thinking about that book for a long period of time, right? Okay, so whatever it is, whatever you spend the most time on is what your mind is going to be thinking about. So the more time you spend in God's word, the more like God you're going to think like, okay? You're going to think like him more and more the more time you spend with him. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, it says in verse 3, that we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then here's, here's the verse for you, Jordan. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the Bible says very specifically that we have the ability to cast down imaginations and he defines what those imaginations are. Anything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So if you're having vain imaginations about something that is contrary to what the Bible says and that's what God calls an imagination, and that you have the ability to cast that down and bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
So whenever you're in a situation where you are thinking wrongly about whatever, or you're feeling wrongly about whatever, if you were to be able to go to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say about that, whatever it is, and you believe what the Bible says over what you think or what you feel, then you're going to be able to take that captive because it's no longer going to be able to control you. So, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that this could be applied. You know, like let's say something happens where somebody does something to you where you just get really mad and angry and you want to be very vengeful. And then all of a sudden you're reading the scriptures and God says, hey, wait, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I don't have a right to think poorly about that person. God says he's going to take care of it. I need to move on. So things like that will come up in the Bible. So that's where when you have those vain imaginations or those thoughts, you need to know well, what does the Bible say about that? And then that will help you, especially as you believe that over what you think or what you feel, and you let this be the boss, then it will help you not struggle as much. Oh, like, like what I'm thinking of is if someone were to perish, perish, I look into this, I look into the Bible, and as I always know, whoever, if they have a great, a strong, if they have a strong connection to Christ, they'll go to heaven with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like to everybody. That's what I think to, have, to everyone, even to my family. Yeah. I know one day we will all go to heaven and live happily ever after. And that's what I always dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always believe. Yeah, as long as a person is right with Christ, which means that they believe that he's the Lord and they've asked him to forgive them, as, as the Bible says, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, so believing that he's the Lord, that he did die for you personally, and you receive that, um, and then you call upon him to save you, then uh, anybody can be saved. And it yeah. really is that simple. It has nothing to do with your works or has nothing to do with coming to church. has nothing to do with even reading your Bible or praying. It has nothing to do with that. So it's recognizing that you're a sinner and that you need a savior, and you ask him to save you. Yeah, that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm doing. So I've been so basically what I'm thinking of is, I've been trying to you know calm down my imagination, like keep keep it captive like that. Yeah. yeah. So that I never want to stop it. I mean, I have so many brilliant ideas, yeah. but right now I just feel with all the work, with all this open work I've been doing. All this open stuff I'm doing, I feel yeah. like I want to. I feel like I want to stop and just read, go back to reading the Bible, because I think it'll probably help me just forget everything. Maybe forget everything I was thinking about. Sure. Maybe just start and stop forgetting everything I was thinking about and start anew. Like yeah. just relaxing. And once I go back into my imagination, maybe I can. Maybe I can think. Maybe it can help me think. Maybe it'll help me uh, think more strongly. There you stuff. go. That's what hey, I Timmy, can you about. open that door? It's getting hot in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, like, spiritual gifts. Yes. I know that you don't have, like, like we don't Thank do you. problems and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. That was stuff nice. like that. Yeah. Miracles and all that. But, yeah. like, do we still have, like, like, I know that, like, everybody has, like, different, like, gifts and abilities and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. what are they... Like, what are the ones that we actually do now in the present? Yes. Good question. So, there's a couple places where the spiritual gifts are mentioned. Um, We probably don't have time to hit all of them. Uh, But 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those places. So, you can turn there, 1 Corinthians 12. So, basically, if you were to break down spiritual gifts in general, uh, there are ones that are... um, you know, spiritual gifts that, that, that deal with 
the revealing of truth. So that would be like the apostles that heard directly from God, prophets, you know, heard directly from God. But then you have the next group, which is the confirming gifts. And so because you had a gift where things were revealed, truth was revealed from God, then those things need to be confirmed that they were legitimately from God. And so those two groups of gifts kind of work together. Those are the two that don't exist anymore because we have the completed word of God, so there's no need for it. I mean, one of the things that's really cool about the Bible, and, uh, and it really, really blew me away, is that all of human history is contained in the scriptures. Like, all of it. Like, I'm not joking. If you start at Genesis chapter 1 with the beginning of creation uh, and you start to trace it all the way through, you'll find a lot of people think that the Bible just stopped when it came to uh, 70 AD, you know, because that's where you had uh, Titus come into Jerusalem and basically tear down the temple and, and you know, tear, tear down block from block. And then you had the writing of Revelation, which happened about a pro- approximately around 90 AD. Um, but then there's like this silence, a period of silence from 90 AD all the way up until now. People are like, well, I mean, it seems like God stopped speaking because, you know, it stopped in 90 AD and now there's nothing now. No. When you study out Revelation 2 and 3, you find out that God gave details of what was exactly going to happen from 90 AD all the way up until today and all the way up into the future and then the rest of human history to the end of Revelation. So the Bible actually contains all of mankind's timeline from beginning to end. So it literally contains everything that you need for everything that you're ever going to go through in your entire life and for everybody else on the planet that ever did exist and ever will exist in the future. It's insane. It's amazing. I wish I had time to take you through it. I mean, like, just give you one example. I can study the book of Hebrews right now, and the book of Hebrews is an amazing book, and it tells me all the Old Testament pictures of the the sacrifices and the feasts and all the things they did and how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all those things. But the book is titled Hebrews because it's written to the Hebrews, the Jews, So during the tribulation period where the Antichrist is going to be ruling this whole world with an iron fist and he's going to be persecuting the Jews to the ends of the earth, the Jews will be able to pick up a Bible and read two books, two books, even not not even just that, just one book and they can be saved because they'll know everything they need to know. But if they were to read the book of Matthew, Matthew contains everything they need to know about who Jesus is, what he did, why he died and for them to be redeemed. Hebrews explains everything they did as a Jewish culture and every ritual, every sacrifice, every feast, everything they did and how it's a picture of, the, of Jesus Christ and how he's the fulfillment of all those things. So just based on those two books alone, a Jew during the tribulation will be able to get right with God while the Antichrist is trying to kill them and kill their family and kill everyone that they know. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so you have 1 Corinthians 12 that lists some and there's some here that we don't have time to really go through right now, but there are certain things like when it comes to, like when it comes to uh, the word of knowledge. I'm not sure if that one's in here. It might be the one that's in uh, the book of Romans. Um, but when it comes to like modern day prophets, that doesn't exist anymore because we have the completed scripture. Word of knowledge doesn't exist anymore because we have the completed scripture. Um, and there's like, you know, speaking in tongues, that was a confirming gift. Uh, healing was a confirming gift that doesn't, it's not needed anymore. Um, and I believe some of those are going to come back during the tribulation period uh, because God's going to need to confirm some things for the nation of Israel again. Uh, but as far as at this point in time, it's just not going to, it's not needed right now because, and that's why it stopped because we have the completed scriptures. So anyway, all right, we may have time for maybe one more quick one. Yeah, we can close the door. Timmy, go ahead and close it. Here. Um, I just wanted to 
just want to ask on, you know, because uh, I've got some trouble with my family who just kind of think that, you know, being a good person is going to heaven. Yes. I'm wondering if you just give a couple of verses that I could take them through on why yeah. that's just Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, he has family members that believe that just being a good person is enough to make it to heaven. Okay. So there's a couple that come to mind. One is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that does not leave anyone out. All have sinned. That one's a great one. Um, Another one that I love a lot is um, Isaiah 59.2 and Isaiah 64.6. Turn to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. So Isaiah 59.2, I'll quote that here real quick, but everyone else turn to Isaiah 64. But Isaiah 59.2 basically says, Your sins have separated between you and your God, uh, and he has hid his face from you that he will not hear. So we see that sin separates us from God. Um, So you have that one. And then Isaiah 64 64.6. Now, this one for me is probably the best verse to use because um, this really shows that even the things that we think that we do are good are still tainted by our sin. All right, so it says in verse 6, But we all, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So all our unrighteousness are as filthy rags. So even the things that we think are righteous and that are good and are things that could earn us favor with God. Even God says specifically, they're just as filthy rags. And so what I love about this verse, because as you kind of take that out and you begin to explain that and really understand it. So I have wronged God. I have sinned against God just by my nature of who I am. My first inclination is that I want to do something right to make up for it. But even if I do that, it's as filthy rags in the sight of God. Because I'm a sinner. So that means anything that I do is now going to be involved with sin. So really, there's nothing I can do to be right with God. And that's exactly why I need a Savior to save me. And so the Bible says clearly that once you understand that and you submit yourself to that truth of I need a Savior, that when you ask Christ to forgive you and to save you, like like it says in Romans 10, 13, then he gives you his righteousness. And that's actually what saves us. If you're looking at it from a purely doctrinal standpoint, what saves us is not the prayer, and it's not has to do anything with, with us going to church or anything like that. What saves us is the fact that we say, God, please save me. And when we do that, he gives us his righteousness, which is crazy to even think about. <laughs> why would God even do something like that? But that's what it would took. And that's why 1 John 2, 2 says that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So when Christ is on the cross... He took your sin upon himself so that when you would come to the place where you recognize that you were a sinner and that you needed a savior and you call upon him to save you, he could then give you his righteousness. So there's an exchange that took place. And he's already taken your sin and now he's just waiting for everyone to actually say, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. And he said, okay, I can give you my righteousness now. And that's actually what saves us. So I like Isaiah 64, 6 because it really explains that even the good things that we do are actually marred by sin themselves. There's filthy rags in the sight of God. All right. Anybody else real quick? Uh, I think we're good. Okay. All right, awesome. So this was fun. Uh, a little bit of a...
adjustment from the norm. So it is what it is. Obviously, God wanted us to do this tonight, and I'm okay with that. I like doing stuff like this. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I wanted to need some. I need some help. Yeah, we all do. That's why we need the Bible, and we need each other. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we can be done. God, thank you so much for our time together tonight. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would um, just really help us to clearly understand the things that you want us to understand tonight. Um, I pray for everyone that's here and the things that they heard, and um, I pray, God, that you would um, just be able to have your way in each of our hearts and lives, that we would just be very submissive to you. Um, that we would want to spend time with you and want to walk with you because that's what you desire from us. You desire to have a, a real relationship with us. And I'm so thankful, God, that you are so long-suffering and that you are so patient. And um, I don't know, I just I love that about your, your character and your nature. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, just help us with our day tomorrow and help us to think rightly about the things that we're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.